Well, let's turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. As we have, uh, we sung this psalm uh, before, and then we sang just now Luther's uh, hymn inspired by this psalm. And now we get to read the psalm and hear it preached. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Our God, we do thank you and we praise you that your truth abideth still that your kingdom is forever. And though your enemies may attack you and attack your word, here we are today, reading your word, hearing it. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. And so we pray that you would keep us from error, that you would help us to discover your truth here in this psalm. And that you would help us to live this out. uh, To live out this confidence that we have in being a part of your kingdom. A kingdom that abides forever. So God, we pray, uh, as Samuel said, that you would speak. Because we, who are your servants, we are listening. We desire to hear you. And so we pray that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Masada will never fall again. Masada is a fortress in Israel. And up even until very recent times, any time a soldier was being inducted into the army of Israel, they would have to make a trek up to Masada. 
And there they would have to swear that oath of allegiance, that Masada would never fall again. And there they are given their, their gun and they are sworn in to the Israeli army. Well, Masada is a legendary fortress for Israel. Maybe you don't know what it is, but if you go to the Dead Sea, you will see nearby there will be a giant cliff, 800 meters, that's not feet, meters way bigger than a foot, 800 meters up into the air, uh, there is this cliff. And at the top, there are these three different levels with, with buildings upon them where people lived and worked. Herod actually uh, built some of that on top of Masada. And it became a fortress. And if you look up, you will see a wall, 1,300 meters Around the edge of that cliff is a giant, thick wall. When the Romans uh, came to invade Jerusalem uh, around 66 AD, they was their first attempt to invade Jerusalem. Didn't go all that great, but a group of Jews fled to Masada, this fortress that Herod had, um, had fortified and, and built up. They fled there and they hid out there. And, and you know, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was basically destroyed. But the Romans kept attacking and attacking. They took over Jerusalem and then they came for Masada in the year 73. Well, it took them two years to finally break into the walls of Masada. But when the Roman soldiers got there, they found actually that nobody was alive. Uh, the 900 remaining people, uh, Jews there, they decided that they would rather take their own lives than to be defeated and killed by the Roman army. So since then, Masada has taken on this legendary status as this great fortress. That's the kind of fortress that the people in Israel would have thought about. A, f- a fortress is a place that you would put on top of a mountain because from the top you can see your enemies coming, and you can build these giant walls. And so no matter what the enemies are doing on the outside, you can stay safe within the fortress as long as the walls are not breached. You can have a normal life. You can have a city inside. You can have your gardens and grow your food. Everything will be safe as long as you're in the fortress. So this psalm is telling us about the fortress. This psalm is telling us that God is the fortress for the people of Israel. So that no matter what is happening on the outside, and no matter what the enemies are doing to the people of God, as long as they are aligned with God, as long as they are taking refuge in God, they will be safe. They will be happy. They can live a joyful life because God is the fortress. And so the main point of this psalm is that God's people can have peace in the midst of chaos. God's people can have peace in the midst of all kinds of chaos. So if you think the world is chaotic right now, If you think maybe your life is a bit chaotic right now, 
this psalm is here to remind us where we can find this joy and peace. It is in God, our refuge and our fortress. So we're going to look at this psalm in three different parts. The first part we see is the instability of the world. And that's in verses 1 to 3. Then we see the stability of God's city in contrast to the world. And then finally, we see in this psalm the proper response that God calls us to have based on those first two things. So let's start looking at this psalm by seeing first the instability of the world. Uh, Verses 1 to 3 are are generally talking about the instability of the world, but he kind of introduces the psalm, sort of a topic sentence, if you want to call it that, in verse 1. By saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the main idea that the psalm is trying to communicate. And we have a variation on that in the middle and at the end. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11 is repeating the same words in verse 7. So the main idea of the psalm is to tell us that there is a fortress in God. In verse 1, though, it's using the word refuge. God is our refuge and strength. And some of you smart people, educated people, you know Latin, probably. Uh, I actually never learned Latin, but uh, the English word refuge comes from a Latin word. You probably know the, the prefix re is something like to again or to go back. Uh, the word fuge means to flee in Latin, fuga. Uh, I just know that from Bach, Bach's fugas or something like that. Uh, So fuga is to flee, to run. And so refuge means to run back. So in English, a, a refuge is a place to run back to. In the Old Testament, uh, we have cities of refuge. I didn't know that we were going to read about that in First Chronicles 6 today. But God set apart for the Levites. Uh, their cities would be cities of refuge. And you know what they were for? They were for people to, if they had killed someone, they could run to the city and they would be protected. They would be safe from uh, an avenger, someone who wanted vigilante justice or wanted to take revenge on them. And they would, they would try to kill them before they got to the city of refuge. So, so if you had killed someone, you run to the city of refuge. I saw a story a few weeks ago. Uh, in Mexico, they were, uh, they, there were two Jesuit priests who were murdered. Because what happened was a, a guy, probably in some drug deal kind of gang thing, a guy was fleeing for his life these gang members trying to kill him he ran to a catholic church and he thought that of all places in the catholic church they would not come and kill him he thought that would be his his refuge his sanctuary turns out the gang members killed those two priests who were trying to protect the guy so that's what it means to be a refuge a place that you can always go to, to find safety. You go back and back and back again. Now, this verse also says that God is a very present help in trouble. 
So God is not only a refuge, but he is also very present. Meaning that he is always available. He's 24-7 there to be a refuge. Waffle House is the greatest restaurant in the world. Amen? Any amens? Okay. You're all wrong. Waffle House is the greatest restaurant in the world. And one of the great things about Waffle House, besides the hash brown bowls or the double waffles with chocolate chip, is that Waffle House is open 24-7. And we used to live in North Carolina. Uh, so we had hurricanes. And so the hurricanes would batter. Uh, we were inland, so it wasn't terrible, but there were storms and the power would go out. Every time the power went out, we go to Waffle House. Because you know that if every other restaurant is closed down, Waffle House is open. Waffle House is a very present help when the storms are raging. But COVID, you know things are bad when Waffle House starts closing. And in 2020, Waffle Houses started to close their doors at certain hours. They stopped being open 24-7 for like a year. They were still open during the day, I think. So Waffle House cannot solve all your needs. It just tells you that every human institution will let you down, right? So God is a very present help. Just like when you are needing the, the help in the storm, God is always there. God is always available. He is always open. Therefore, verse 2, we will not fear. So this is why we don't need to fear, even though the earth gives way. We don't need to fear because when all of these things happen, we can always go to God as our refuge and strength, a very present help, always available, everywhere available. So what is the instability? What would cause us to fear in verse 2? We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. In verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So you see here the instability of the world, that the earth is shaking, the mountains are moving, the waters are roaring, and then it says again, the mountains trembling and the waters swelling. This is a picture of chaos and and instability. The world is being turned upside down, you could say. The earth is giving way. Mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. The idea is that the mountain is like the most stable thing in the world that you could think of. If you could get 10,000 of the strongest men in the world, go get them trying to push a mountain. They can't move it. They will not move a mountain one inch. And so what if this, this most stable thing in all the world, a mountain, is falling into the sea. Maybe you remember at the beginning of this year uh, in, in Tonga, in the Pacific Ocean, the volcano erupted underwater and it caused shock waves that were felt even at the very edge 
of the Earth's atmosphere. And it com- you, s- you can see how it completely devastated Tonga and it caused all these tidal waves on these different islands. Well, that's not quite what is happening here, right? Because it's a mountain under the sea exploding, but it's the same kind of idea. The kind of devastation it would cause to imagine a mountain falling into the sea. And so the waters are rising and everything is roaring. And so if that's happening in nature, then this is talking about the instability of many things in the world. It's a, it's a metaphor for what's happening. And you see that even in verse 6. So verse 6 says, The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. So this is, a, this is poetry. It's metaphors for explaining what happens in our lives, what happens in the world. It's not just about natural disasters. The words are the same words in verse 6 that are used in, in the first uh, two in, verses 2 and 3. Uh, that it, When it talks about the nations raging, the word rage is the word used for roar about the waters in verse 3. Just like the waters roar, the nations roar. The word for totter, translated as totter in verse 6 about the kingdoms, is the word that's used in verse 2 for the mountains. So just like the mountains totter into the sea, the kingdoms are tottering. They are moving. The kingdoms are shaking and falling down. And so it seems pretty clear that this psalm is trying to tell us about the instability and chaos of everything in the world. Everything's falling apart. When people talk like that, The world is falling apart. Our nation is falling apart. People say these kinds of things all the time. We literally can see these kinds of things happening. Uh, We've seen in maybe the past few weeks or a month ago when the Supreme Court made their decision and people were promising a, a night of rage after the Supreme Court decision. Unbelievers just raging about abortion access being uh, restricted in some way. You see that they've promised now a summer of rage in response to what's been happening. The nations are roaring. They roar. They rage against God. They're turning upside down. Like the, the mountains are falling over. Our society is all in chaos and turning upside down with these redefinitions of marriage and gender. We see kingdoms tottering and falling. Economies rise and economies collapse. It's in the news now. Sri Lanka, their government collapsing, their kingdom falling. The prime minister left the country and, and people are sitting there in his house watching TV, taking over his house. But that's just this week's example. We could, we could always have illustrations of kingdoms falling. That's what happens with the world. The world is unstable. And maybe we can get more personal and you have felt in your life how your world is turned upside down. When things happen and you feel like you've been hit by uh, a truck 
with the events that have hit you in your life, maybe the sicknesses or the relationships, the family struggles that just come upon you and it seems to all pile up at once. The world is not stable. But we will not fear. We will not fear, though, all these things happen because God is our refuge and strength. And so we come to the second part of the psalm, which is the stability of God's city. And there's a lot of contrast here between the instability of the world and the stability of the city of God in verses 4 to 7. There's a contrast first between the seas that are raging and the river that is a gentle stream. It's in contrast to having the world and your life being like waters raging, you can drink from a gentle stream. Verse 4, the first line says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And you might wonder, uh, what is the significance of a river inside of a city? Why would you have a river inside of a fortress? Well, let me answer the question by telling you a little story about a discovery, archaeological discovery that was made. In 1880, there were two boys who wandered, found, wandered upon and found some inscription on a wall. And uh, somehow archaeologists, archaeologists found that what the boys were reporting and looked into it, and they found that there was a story being told, a kind of a memorial of an event that happened in the Bible. Uh, the inscription said that there were men digging a tunnel, and one group of men was digging from the inside of the city of Jerusalem, and there's another group of men digging outside the city, and they were digging this tunnel and met in the middle. And it's an important discovery because it backs up a story uh, in Second Chronicles, which talks about how Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, commissioned the construction of a tunnel. A tunnel to bring water from a spring outside the city into the city of Jerusalem. The reason that Hezekiah wanted that tunnel to be built was because he knew that he had made the Assyrians angry and that soon the Assyrians were coming to attack Jerusalem. And it was a common way to defeat a city that all you had to do was get rid of their water source. You, you get them trapped inside their city, inside the walls, and take away their water. Eventually, they die or they feel like giving up and surrender. And so what, they, what people would often do was they would see what river was flowing into the city and they would stop it up outside the city walls. So Hezekiah, smart. He built a secret tunnel underground to get the water into Jerusalem. And so this is the image that uh, Psalm 46 is giving us. You can be surrounded by the enemy. You can have the Assyrians and their great army literally looking at you. You can look them in their, the eyes, these barbarous people full of danger. But they can't touch you. They can do nothing to you. 
And they're there, they're waiting, and they're all proud. They think they've got you. They think you're about to die. But you've got a secret tunnel bringing water into your city. Inside your city, there is a stream that is a constant source of life for you. It's a stream that can make glad the city of God. Even though the enemies are all around. Even though the world is chaotic outside of the fortress, within the fortress, there's a stream that will never run dry and a stream that can never be blocked up. Now this is also, like I said, it's a, it's a gentle stream in contrast to the raging seas. I think there's also meaning behind that too. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6, Isaiah and God condemned the people for despising the gentle waters of Shiloh. Shiloh was this stream that would come into Jerusalem. And the people despised it. Now, why would they despise it? Well, you know that people like to build cities by big rivers, right? Like Albany was built by a big river. And the Egyptians had a great civilization because they had the Nile River. Babylon was great because they had the Euphrates River. And so people in Jerusalem were like, man, we're kind of lame. We got these gentle waters of Shiloh. We don't have one of these big rivers. And Isaiah says, you don't need that. Because you don't need rivers that are huge to sail your warships, to travel on. God is in the midst of your city. God is the one who protects your city. You don't need a river for war. You just need a river for drinking. This is a stream, a gentle stream, to make glad the city of God. This is the stream that Ezekiel talks about in chapter 47 as a stream that is a river that is teeming with fish to give life, constant food. It grows uh, trees of life on the edges with the water, giving, uh, getting water for, for the trees that you can eat from and, and, and be rejuvenated and have life. It's also this, the river that Revelation 22 talks about that is flowing down Main Street the middle of the city of God, Jerusalem. And it's flowing with the trees of life on the edges. And from this river, you drink and find life. Live forever. So I think that we will be in a literal new heavens and new earth, a, a city where there will be an actual stream that will flow and that will give life as we drink from it but this is also a symbol for us it's a symbol of the gladness that we can have even in this life that we can drink from this stream to make glad the city of God it's a symbol of communion with God God is in the midst of her and so the lesson for you and for me is that Whatever chaos is going out, going around on the outside of your life, you will always have available to you 
this stream of communion with God. Nothing will be able to keep you from knowing the love of God the Father. Nothing can keep you from experiencing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ every day and every moment of the day that you will make yourself available for that. Nothing can keep from you the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit comforts you and works in your heart. This is the stream. No matter what the enemies on the outside are doing to you can make glad the city of God. And you can have this daily. That's what the end of verse 5 is saying when it says, God will help her when morning dawns. Morning dawns every day. Every day you can drink from the river. So we have the contrast of the gentle stream with the roaring ocean. We also have the contrast with the mountains that are moving and the city that is immovable. Verses 4 and 5, at the end of verse 4, it says this is the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is in the midst of her. God will protect her because he is with her. Now, Jerusalem... You know that God made his presence known in a special way at the Old Testament times where he would be in the temple, his glory would be there, and his presence would be there. And the problem, again, was that the people began to think of this as a sort of a lucky charm, a good luck charm. And they started to think that, well, God's in Jerusalem, so nothing will happen in Jerusalem. As long as I'm living within Jerusalem, I'm going to be safe. Maybe if you're a Reformed Baptist, you didn't grow up with lucky charms. Not the cereal, but like an actual charm, uh, like a rabbit's foot. I, was, I was, did not grow up Reformed Baptist. I had rabbit's foots when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't really think that they did anything. But, but kids like to tell themselves, oh, this brings me good luck. So there are people that really have these things that they think will make them lucky. Good things will happen to them. Israel really thought as long as we got Jerusalem, everything's good. And the prophets were saying, no, 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 you don't understand. The, the, it's not the city or the temple itself that is what brings the blessings. It's that God is there. You see, the prophets are saying, but God can move out any time. God ha- can pour out his curses upon you for your disobedience to him. And then you won't be safe in Jerusalem. Well, that's exactly what happened. The people ignored God, the prophet's instructions, but God left. And so uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But what that shows us is that God never meant to be restricted to one building or to a city. God's plan the whole time was that his glory would fill the earth. That was his plan in Eden. It was, it was his desire. Eden is what the world was supposed to be like. God with us. That's what the plan was. And so the temple, Jerusalem, that, that was all the mercy of God as a result of sin. God was always meant to fill the earth with his glory. 
And so he came to earth, first through Jesus Christ, walking on earth in flesh, then through sending his spirit. Jesus says, Matthew 28, I am with you always through his spirit. He is with us. So God is in the midst of her, verse 5, because his spirit is with you and me. And that's was God's plan the whole time, that his glory would fill the earth. Who is the her then? Where is God in the midst? We know that he is in the midst of his church, his people, his people who have the Holy Spirit, who together make up the church where God is in her midst. That's why God is in our midst right now and this morning as we gather together. And so, she shall not be moved, verse 5 says. The church will not be moved. Christ is building his church. It's said that Martin Luther you know, who, who wrote that song based on Psalm 46. Martin Luther had his friend, Philip Melanchthon. And when things were getting really bad, having hard times in his life, he would look at his friend and he would say, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. So that's the idea. This confidence that Luther had Let the devil do his worst. The cause of the Reformation and the cause of the gospel, the cause of the church will prevail. The church will not be moved. The church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. And it will not be shaken down, even though the mountains on the outside may fall into the heart of the sea. And every kingdom on this earth will totter The church will stand. And so the question for you all is, are you inside the fortress where you will be glad and be in the city that will not be moved? Or are you clinging to these mountains as they are falling into the ocean? Are you part of the church of Jesus Christ? That will never be moved. You become part of the church first and foremost through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, repenting of your sins, giving your life to following him. But then you profess that and you visibly become part of his church through baptism. And baptism in a way is kind of like getting a passport. You get a passport that it, it doesn't make you a citizen of the country, but it shows that you are a citizen of that country. Do you have the passport that shows that you are a citizen of this city of God that will never be moved? And then, maybe you've been baptized, but it's also important to be a member of a local church. Uh, if we want to go with this passport analogy... So, you know, I moved here and I've got to do all this stuff to prove my residency here for every little thing. It's not enough for me to say I'm a citizen of the USA. I've got this passport that I can use, 
Well, people want to see your driver's license, right? They want to see which part of the USA are you living in. You're officially a resident of. So we can go with this city of God analogy to say, okay, you've got your passport, you've been baptized, and you're part of the city of God, but which local area of the city are you a part of? Which local church within the city do you belong to? So we want to identify ourselves as part of the great city of God, as citizens, but also we want to identify ourselves Everybody has to live in a particular part of that city. So maybe you've been baptized years ago. But who are you aligned with? Which part of the city of God are you fighting for? So you, not, you want to join this city. Become a citizen through faith in Christ, through public profession in your baptism, and then through joining yourself to a local part of the church. And so, though the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, God is our fortress. That's verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, now we come to the proper response in verses 8 to 10. So we get to verse 8, and it changes in the tone. We don't have here anymore this psalm of confidence about the city, but instead it changes to commands. We have commands. We have a command, two commands in verse 8, and two commands in verse 10. Come behold, be still and know. There's a response that's being called for as we uh, look upon this great city and think about its stability. So the first command, come behold, verse, verse 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Come behold is a command to get your attention. Pay attention. Rouse yourself. Don't fall asleep yet. It's not nap time yet. Come behold these things. These are great things that are happening here. Behold the works of the Lord. These things that you need to pay attention to right now are bad for the enemies of God, but good for the people of God. Verse 8 says, Behold the fact that he has brought desolations on the earth. Desolation is usually a bad word, right? But desolations are good, in this case, for the people of God. He desolates the earth. He does that by making wars cease and breaking bow and shattering the spear and burning chariots with fire. Back in verse 6, we get an idea of what this is about. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. So here's the idea. God's enemies are raging. They want to take him down. They are fighting the church. They're shooting their bows. They're throwing their spears. And God says, stop. Stop. 
All he has to do is say, stop. And the earth melts. They all fall down. Like Jesus, when they came to arrest him. Who do you seek? And they all fall down. All he has to do is say, stop. It's like kids shooting Nerf guns at dad. And they're real happy because dad pretends, oh, ow, ow, you're killing me. But all dad has to do is walk over and say, stop. Grabs the Nerf gun. It's nothing for dad to grab the Nerf gun. God instantly can rise up for his people and tell his enemies to stop. And they stop. These are the desolations that God is bringing upon the earth. God will one day stop evil. God will one day take down every government that persecutes his church and hurts his people. A secular culture is raging and will continue to rage, and who knows how much worse it will get, but all God has to do is say stop. And one day Jesus will return, and he will put a stop to it all. He will win and everyone against him will lose the second command in verse 10 is to be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth now this command in verse 10 is one of those that is often quoted out of context Maybe you've seen the shirt that says, I can do all things through a verse quoted out of context based on Philippians 4.13. One of those verses that people like to quote out of context. I have to admit that there are hand towels in my house with verse 10 on them. Be still and know that I am God. We like to think of that verse as a call to us to be quiet and pray and meditate on God and humble ourselves before God. Maybe you grew up in the 90s like me and you remember Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, Be Still and Know That I Am God. It's the same idea. Well, I'm I'm pretty convinced that's not what this verse means. I'm pretty sure, because this is God speaking, that in the context of this, he's talking to his enemies. And the word for be still here pretty much just means drop down. You could say drop dead. (laughs) It's as if God is just saying, stop it. Drop dead. You people and your bows and your spears, stop. So this isn't a call for Christians to be silent and to meditate. It's a call for the enemies of God to stop rebelling against God. 
to recognize that they are not God, that there is only one God, and he will win. He will be exalted among the nations, not any of the governments on the earth. He will be exalted in the earth, not any other person. So stop. Stop trying to exalt yourself. Stop trying to fight God. And God says to Job, Will the one who finds fault contend with the Almighty? You, you think that you can fight me? Stop it. It's a call to join God's side here in verse 10. It's like the ark of Noah. As people were mocking Noah. And he's building his ark. And Noah's warning them that the flood is coming and that judgment is coming. God says, stop mocking. Enter the ark before it's too late. Because the floods are coming. And so this is what God calls us to do. To enter to the ark. Or in this case, enter the fortress. God is a mighty fortress. The world outside is a world of chaos. Enter in. Become a citizen of the city of God and you will always be able to drink from the river that makes you glad. And so God's people can say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. God, we do confess that you are glorious, the one with all power and authority. And we desire that you would be our refuge and strength and our very present help in trouble. Pray that each one of us would enter into this fortress. And we thank you for this psalm of confidence that we can have in you. We thank you for all that you have done through Jesus Christ, who is our victorious King. Help us to rest in him. We know how easy it is to focus on the instability of the world around us, the chaos that happens daily in our lives and as we enter into Another week where we can easily become overwhelmed with all the things that we need to do. We pray that you would help us to look to you. That nothing would be able to touch our communion with you. Give us deeper and sweeter communion with you and knowledge of your grace that we might be a glad people. May this church drink from this river that makes glad the city of God. And we ask all these things through the power and the authority 
of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.